why not just try to match the posture and match the movements that you want to do in the batter's box with this lead arm? Because there is so much that in order to add up to a really fast lead arm, you have to be able to you know maximize each portion of the kinetic sequence. Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope you're doing well wherever you're listening at. I've been attending a lot of games as of late. Softball, baseball, college, high school, Division One, Division Two, And I just think it's so important for coaches and players, if possible, to go and watch different levels of the game. You learn so much about that, and you also just start to understand what it takes to play at certain levels. And so that's something that I've been doing. I work, I help a lot of players with uh, um, recruiting across the country, college recruiting for mainly baseball right now. And so it's it's just really important to be able to go and look at different levels of the game and, and understand, you know, what type of programs value these types of players versus these types of players and and just building those connections and, and those relationships. So if you're a coach out there, I'd highly recommend going in and watching different levels of the game. Okay, so in this week's episode, we have Bill Miller, and Bill is is based out of Chicago, Illinois. He has a I, he doesn't have his own facility; he works out of a facility, but he does lifting, he does hitting, and what I've really leaned on him for over the years and just followed him online is building rotational power and bat speed. I think that's something that he does about as good as anybody that I've seen to date. And so in this episode, we're talking about developing bat speed. We're talking about developing power, more specifically for hitters than pitchers. And so I think you're going to find a lot of value, some good nuggets from Bill. I know I definitely did. I'm going to implement that with some of the players that that I'm currently working with right now. But so if you're if you're into bat speed, if you're into developing power, this is going to be a great episode for you. Hope you enjoy it. If you haven't, make sure to go to patrickjonesbaseball.com and sign up for my email list where I each week on Tuesday I send out the Hitting Chronicle, which is my hitting development newsletter. So if you haven't, go to patrickjonesbaseball.com and sign up there. Okay, here we go. Bill Miller. All right, we now welcome on Bill Miller to the podcast. Bill, appreciate you coming on today. For sure, thank you so much. So when I think of when I think of you, and I've been following you for several years now, and been following your content. Um, you know, I, I see you posting a ton of stuff about just how to train rotational athletes. I know that this is obviously a baseball podcast, but you work with golf and javelin athletes and and ro- just anything rotational. And so I feel like you're you're the perfect person to have on this podcast to to talk about how to build power and speed because that's I mean essentially what you do full time. Um, how how did you get obsessed with with this with building and helping athletes build rotational power and strength? Um, so for me, like I've always had a pretty big passion for training in general. Like since I was like a freshman in high school, I was like a weight room junkie and stuff like that. Um, and I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And you know, the biggest thing with me was I was always a pretty big, strong kid. Like I lifted a lot but I never really got fast. I wasn't a good sprinter. 
And I really didn't throw or hit the ball that hard. Like I was just kind of a big contact hitter then. And that's kind of a dinosaur in today's game. So I think um, like over the years, you know, I got like my CSCS and all that. And I'm looking at a lot of like the training ideas out there. I think from like a strength and like injury prevention perspective, a lot of the stuff was already covered. Like Cressy had been doing it for many years and stuff like that. But the, um, the areas of like real like speed and power development, I don't think there was a lot of that that was tapped into, at least not on social media. And so I kind of wanted to be the, that person. Like I wanted to be like, Hey, we need to highlight this because it was the missing component in my career. I felt, and there was a lot of like, uh, at the time there was a lot of like high school kids and D three kids that really weren't that powerful that they, they were missing it. So if they just did like, the basic Cressy or whatever program out there, they might not tap into the the velocity and the bat speeds needed to, to reach their goals. So that was really like my big, uh, I, I guess my, my sort of career goal, if you will. Let's talk about the bat speed because, and I don't, it, it, this hasn't been on social media as much as of late, but I remember a couple of years ago it was, there, there was a big thing about bat speed and how more bat speed doesn't actually equal more exit velocity or power. Like what has been some of the things that, that you have found with bat speed? Well, I mean, there's a bunch, man. You can go down so many different rabbit holes. Probably the first big thing that comes to mind is like when you're swinging and I've learned this through long drive. I did a little bit of long drive experimenting on myself. I think I've seen and, that. I think I saw that. Yeah. A little bit. Online. Yeah. And, and so I, I was swinging the club really fast. Like I would crack like a one fifty once in a while and stuff like that. That's elite. But then like I, I had two problems. One, when it came to actually hitting a ball, I was not accurate in the least bit. And so in order to be accurate, I had to swing at maybe like a one thirty five to one forty club head speed, which is still really good. But if I wanted to compete at the long drive level, I was way behind everybody. And um, so that was the one thing was like the accuracy issue really came into like, oh, this is a problem. If you're swinging absurdly fast, like at true 100% speed, um, it's probably not going to play very well. And that's even more so the case in baseball because you have to react to crazy pitching and stuff like that. So probably the biggest thing that I've learned is you have to train bat speed in a way that is like organic is the word that I've been using, but almost like something that, you know, you can handle in a game like situation in a competition setting, you need this bat speed to transfer to a game. And so there's so much to be said for barrel accuracy and, and things of that nature that you need to be able to, uh, to really hone in on. And if you're not doing that, you're up, the creek you're yeah. never going to be a great hitter so i would say that's number one and i mean there's so many more different areas to dive into with that like we've seen uh just recently i've been doing some looking into like blast metrics and and stuff like that and sometimes this isn't everybody but sometimes you'll have guys that are swinging their fastest bat speeds but they have either a terrible time to contact or they'll have a terrible like vertical bat angle where they're just really dumping underneath the ball or maybe it's like they're cutting straight out of the zone. Like, so your barrel path starts to suffer as well. If you're only going for that raw maximal bat speed. So there are some things to consider there. Um, and so that's why, like when it comes to training for bat speed, I'm typically not somebody that's telling people take this bat and swing it like a caveman. 
I want to try to find like other areas that we can address, not even having a bat in your hand that will address that power development in a way that your whole body, your whole system is becoming more explosive. And now when it's time to swing the bat, you just swing the bat in a way that will work in a game, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what would some of those areas be that you would want to train for them that way that, that they wouldn't have a bat in their hand that would help them increase their bat speed? Yeah, like a, a couple, like obviously like the the basic strength training stuff for a lot of guys is going to work well, like, you know, the bench pressing, the lunging and stuff like that. But the more specific areas that I look into are like a rotational strength type exercise, like a maximal isometric type exercise, where maybe you're tracking a number on a, like we have a crane scale. There's a lot of different things you can do, but like just rotational, like pulling strength in general, and then like a rotational speed type movement, like a, a shot put, or we do those lead arm throws. Um, we do a lot of stuff like on the Proteus, like things like that are really, really good because now you're training the whole body to be like strong and super explosive. And then hopefully over time, it just sort of matches its way into your swing, your normal, regular game-like swing that works, as opposed to, um, you know, having a swing that may suffer in game just for the sake of having higher bat speeds. You mentioned the Prote Proteus, is that how you pronounce it? Mm -hmm. What exactly is that? Because I've seen that online a lot of different places, not exactly sure what it is. It's pretty cool. I would compare it to a Kaiser machine or uh, something like that. Um, it's It's got a lot more range of motion. Like you can move the handle wherever you want. But we basically just use it with a like a shot put, um, a pullover type movement and like a trunk rotation movement. Um, and what really drew me to it was you can measure like the power output of the exercise, but you also measure how quickly you get to that power. And that's obviously like crucial for baseball, um, kind of the same concept I was just talking about. Like you can have big bat speed, but if you're getting to that bat speed slow, you'll never play at a high level. So the ability to like burst really quick is something that you can actually track on that machine. And that's what really I think is, is like the separator, the reason I like it so much, at least. Um, but like even, you know, before we had the Proteus, we were still seeing really good gains with that same concept. We would just take like med balls or um, whatever movement we were doing, even like a landmine press or something. And like the idea with the movement was to be as explosive, be as like that bet explosive burst from the start of the movement really emphasized that and then um you know along came the proteus where you know we could actually we eventually were able to afford one and then we were able to uh get it in in the gym and start tracking that acceleration which i i felt like was really the separator yeah going back to the the medicine ball stuff i was reading some of the articles online that you had written in one of the things that stood out to me that i thought was interesting and i wanted to ask if if this hurt players at all from a hitting standpoint was the lead arm rotational throws and the mm -hmm. only reason i say that is well one i guess my first part is wh what did you find why the lead arm and not the back arm and then the second did that hurt any of the hitters because they're now more so front side dominant and now put like have more of a tendency to pull that front front shoulder out early yeah so what i saw with it was exactly that like guys to achieve their highest speeds with the lead arm throws they would almost throw it like it's a disc golf type throw like super telephone pole just like whipping it around it, it doesn't work and so the reason i liked it was 
we popped like the uh, we have a 40 motion. And so it measures the pelvis, the torso and the arm. And in order to max out your speeds at each segment, um, you have to be able to sequence properly. And the lead arm throws really helped with that sequencing aspect. So this worked especially well with guys who had like a really pushy swing. And, you know, we're, we're, we're working with it, we're throwing it, and, and we start to realize, well, wait a minute, why not just try to match the posture and match the movements that you want to do in the batter's box with this lead arm? Because there is so much that in order to add up to a really fast lead arm, you have to be able to, you know, maximize each portion of the kinetic sequence. So it did help a lot from that aspect when we were working through it with the K-Vest. Um, yeah. And I, I just think it, it, it generally helps with sequencing for those guys who are a little more pushy, whereas like the shot put throw only sort of feeds into that pushy aspect. Um, so it, there's different drills that work better with different guys for sure. Um, you know, a guy that maybe is a little bit longer or maybe is really pulling off with that front shoulder. Um, we're going to definitely keep them closed off when they're doing their lead arm work and stuff like that. So it, it just helps in general to to make sure that guys aren't being pushy with the barrel because when we get in the cages, there's almost nothing that we do that uh, sort of works on the sequencing aspect other than just, hey, we want you to try to hit this ball hard into the gaps. You know what I mean? So hopefully your sequencing is good. But the pitching speeds and stuff like that that we work on off the machine are so fast. It's like it almost like like sometimes guys get into this mode of like, I got to get going. I got to get going. And then they neglect their sequencing. And so it's almost like that lead arm throw provides an area to work on some speed, work on some power development, maximizing all of your sequence uh, areas. And then when it comes to the cage, we just kind of like let it happen. Um, so that's that was kind of my idea behind the lead arm throws. I like them a lot especially because it's a way to measure and, and develop power without having to put the bat in their hands, if that makes sense. If there's one thing you could do to help a player increase their power, like one, one exercise, what would it be? Oof, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, I would say probably the lead arm throws because oh, really? okay. that, that it's probably the one that it's so like versatile, like, on the surface, it looks like everybody's just going to rip their front side open and, and never really address um, anything that would transfer to the box well, but you can match it to your needs. You can sort of look at what their problems are in the batter's box. You can look at it you know, from a sequential standpoint as well and just kind of address it from there. That would be my take, um, but I'm sure other people would probably say jumping might be better. Uh, some people might say that bench pressing is better. There's obviously good correlations between those and bat speed and power development as well. So Bill, one of the things I was doing recently is I always like to reread a lot of old stuff, old books. And I was rereading Ted Williams book and he he brought up the squeezing the tennis balls for the grip strength. And I know you've done a lot of grip strength stuff and was curious to hear what, what your findings were with grip strength. Is it overrated? Is it underrated? It's, uh, it, it, it is what it is. So there's never going to be, um, at least from my finding, I'm never going to find a study. Nobody's ever going to come out with something that is for sure saying, hey, this is high correlation to bat speed. But it's like anecdotally speaking, basically everybody I train that can hit a ball hard, everybody I train that has good barrel accuracy, they all have pretty damn good hand strength. And so maybe going from like, 
like like a good hand strength on our dynamometer is like a 130 to 140 range and like the great hand strength is like 150 plus so like going from like 150 to 200 probably doesn't make that big of a difference but probably going from like a 100 to a 120 or 130 you might see really really good results and like I said, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of research out there on it, but just thinking about it in general, um, you know, is like, okay, let's say I'm swinging a bat five miles per hour faster than last year. Well, that barrel, like from a physics perspective is going to want to dump away from me that centripetal to centrifugal force and all that. It's going to want to get away from me. Well, what's keeping that barrel from getting away from me? What's keeping it from getting out of path that I want? It's your hands. So at the end of the day, you do need strong enough hands to get the job done. So that's what my take would be. Um, but getting super, super strong hands probably won't make that big of a difference, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess my next, my follow-up to that would be, okay, let's say you're at 100, you want to get to 120. Is just doing the traditional lifts the best way to go about it, increasing that? No, you, you can definitely do more. Like uh, I'm a big like farmer walk fan. I think mm. squeezes are really good too. Rice bucket digs are great. I mean, you simply have to train the forearms to get stronger. Like they don't, uh, I, I, I don't think there's enough stimulus just from picking up four sets of a deadlift. I don't think there's going to be enough stimulus there for everybody to get stronger. You know, it's no different than like, if you want to get faster, just running 10 sprints a week might not be enough for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you got to do more and you got to address that area more to me. Farmer walks are really good. Uh, yeah. Digs, squeezing exercises. We've been doing a lot of, um, pull up, you know, just hangs from, yeah. from a pull up bar. Those are good. Um, and then like the other thing I, I was just talking about this with a, a throwing guy the other day, but we were talking about too, like grip strength is great for throwing, like protecting the elbow, but there's almost like an aspect of like, if you, all you ever do is just grip strength right here. You never really train the wrist to get outside of like a certain range of motion. Um, you're never really stressing those muscles in more of an end range. That could be a good idea to work on as well, just for general, like wrist and elbow health is like sort of getting outside of a normal range of motion and doing an isometric or maybe even like a wrist curl or pronation or supination exercise through a full range of motion, I think that would be a good idea as well. What about training both sides of the body as a hitter? This is something that I've seen, I don't know, I've seen it over the years a little bit where, you know, you take someone who's a right-handed hitter and like, oh, if you want to try to increase their their bat speed and their power, hit left-handed too, train left-handed, swing left-handed too. To, and I think the thought process was always to, I, don't, I really don't know, but just to balance out both sides of, of the body, I guess. Is that something you, I'm sure you've heard of it. I mean, is it valid and do you do it? I don't personally. Um, there's just so much, like just thinking about the adaptations that you'll get from any sort of training, right? The adaptations that you would get from swinging from your non-dominant side are almost probably going to be primarily coordination based. Like, oh, my non-dominant side went up five or 10 miles per hour bat speed this month. Well, that's probably all just beginner gains because you've never really practiced it before. So, but from a musculature perspective and protecting the spine and things like that, it's not a bad idea, but what I would say, I don't know if swinging would be enough of a stimulus to really train those muscle groups to, 
maybe uh, get a little bit stronger or maybe a little more mobile. So what I would say, instead of doing swings, I would say do something like a deep end range isometric on your non-dominant side, like a pal off hold, but maybe with your hip and torso turned, mm. um, training that to be strong. You could train it with, you know, the cable machine or something like that with like a chopping type exercise as well. Just something that actually stresses the muscle groups that you're trying to train to be balanced. Do that more directly because I don't think a swing is really the best way to do it, if that makes sense. To me, swinging is so coordination-based. It's really not stressful enough on those muscle groups to really do that good of a job. What about the overload, underload, bat speed training? So that's another one. I'm, I have mixed feelings on it, to be honest. Yeah. I'm wearing a drive-light shirt. I, I saw that. I was going to mention that. I was like, we need to get a Bill Miller sweatshirt. I, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I love the people over at Driveline. They're always like really great anytime I've talked to any of them, but to be honest, to me personally, I'm not that big of a fan on all the different bats. Um, so I, there's a quick little anecdote. I've had multiple uh, hitters at the pro level that have come through and said, hey, I want to try out these bats. I want to try out these overload and underload bats and see what I like and, and everything like that. And we went through like a good like two, three months with them. And what we kind of found was like, the overload bat really didn't do much. Like it really didn't move the needle. Now, granted, these are pro athletes already, so they're pretty strong. So maybe there just wasn't anything there that was low hanging fruit for them from a like a strength and force production side of things. They said they liked the blue bat uh, from Driveline. It's the underload one. They liked that one, and they always kind of kept that in their in their golf bag, if you will, of bats. They liked it. They liked that like speed component and almost like waking the body and the central nervous system up to swing fast. But that was really it. Like the, the middle bat that I think it's the handle load one that they have, that one really didn't do much. Um, it didn't really move the needle. So to me, there's, there is probably some athletes out there that would see benefit from it. I just don't have anybody in my gym that I feel needs to do it. And this is the only way you could gain bat speed. In my opinion, there's so much more out there. Like we were just talking about all the different ways of developing power in the weight room and in other areas with med balls and stuff that could, you know, sort of stress the whole system, all the muscle groups, the central nervous system to fire so much faster than when you have a bat in your hands. Because to me, what can happen is that sort of negative effect on the, the sequencing and the coordination that's so important when you're swinging a bat. I mean, just think about if you swung a, an underload bat for two months and you never picked up your baseball bat, what is going to happen? You're probably going to throw off your timing and your sequence and your whole swing in general. So why would we even do it in the first place if eventually it could lead to some problems? That's my take. But I know if you talk to somebody else or maybe driveline or that is pro overload or no bat, they'll say, if you use them in sequence the way you're supposed to with your overload, your underload, and then your regular game bat, it really won't make that big of a problem. So I, I guess that's my take. It's like it maybe it won't move the needle for you, but it probably won't kill you either. Yeah, that's it's, it's something that I've seen. I've seen similar stuff too, where it's, hey, this athlete has he doesn't have enough bat speed. Well, let's just just have them do the overload underload bats. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. to just throw them at them and, and I, you know, that'll fix it. That was that was always something that I've, I've seen over the years, but I, I agree with you. I think that it can throw off sequencing issues. And there's, I think we were texting about this beforehand where 
when you try to increase bat speed by solely swinging a bat, there's a, a negative effect that can come from that. And that can lead to some bad habits. And I think that's why I resonate and like your method more because you're, you don't have, have the athletes always have a bat in their hand. And when you pick up a bat, you do the baseball thing, right? You do the hitting thing, just like you've always done your entire life. It's just the way your brains, I mean, you've taken so many swings. So I think when it comes to helping players build rotational power and build the bat speed, if we can do it without a bat in the hands, I think it's best case scenario personally. I 100% agree. I could not agree more. And you know, there, there's just a lot that like, maybe some athletes will resonate with certain things better and they'll be able to respond with the bat in their hand better. But so when we are measuring stuff with the 40 motion, like over the winter time with some of the pro guys and stuff, you know, we are like, okay, try to get an 85 bat speed on the blast sensor. You're like, just swing like a caveman. Well, what happened was the torso really sped up. Like the pelvis didn't really speed up that much. So now we're thinking proximally, there's not much of a change, but distally is where we're starting to see those changes. Well, as we feed up further and further up the chain, more and more speed, the problem there is probably going to wind up being that we're not coordinated with this type of hand movement, this type of torso movement. Um, and now like I have to respond to a pitch as well with this different swing and this different speed that I'm not coordinated with. So, of course, you're, you're going to run into problems there as well. So there's just different things to think about, like, where is the speed coming from? Is it coming from the whole system as a whole or is it coming from one segment of the chain that's doing something different than before? What are your what are your thoughts on 4D motion versus K-Vest? Uh, well, I've never used a K-Vest, so okay. I've heard incredible things. And the 4D motion that we were using isn't even mine. Actually, it's my friend's. So it's probably something that I would want to get into eventually, like mm -hmm. testing out the two. But as of right now, I, I don't have access to either. I think it's a really good idea, though. I just don't know how in practice if it's reliable and stuff. I mean, there's so many great, you know, little tools and stuff over the years that have gotten better. I don't know if like KVS and 40 Motion are the ones that are kind of climbing in that regard. Like, you know, for example, um, I don't know if you had the old modus sleeves from driveline. Oh yeah. yeah. They, they sucked. <laughs> like they're so finicky and I haven't had I uh, much of a chance to try out the new ones, but just seeing a couple athletes who've popped on the new stuff, it looks like it's really upgraded a lot. So we're at that weird moment in baseball where there is a lot of like tech out there, but yeah. it's hard to decipher what is actually like reliable and what's kind of still in those growing stages, I guess. Is there a piece of tech out there that you would just love to to have an experiment with? Oh man, well Proteus was the one for the longest time and I'm I'm very happy that we did wind up, you know, putting down that investment, but um I would I don't know. Like I I guess KVS and 40 Motion would probably be one. Um I definitely am interested in getting like some sort of a uh like a track man or something like that down the road. They're just so expensive. What about but, force yeah. plates? force plates yeah another one like shit would that be really cool to see yeah. what your feet are doing and um i actually had an idea that i was talking about with a minor league uh strength and conditioning coordinator about force plate stuff like and he, he's not able to do it unfortunately in his organization but what would be a great idea is if you had force plates in a batter's cage and in 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 the cages and you have athletes over the course of a season test out just hey we're going to take a couple rounds of bp and see how what your forces are looking like on the ground i would bet 
over the course of the season, it's going to change. And so if you start to pick up on, hey, your front foot is really heavy right now on the force plate, or you're just not putting in any force in the ground with your, you know, yourself, there's going to be information there that you can use to help get a hitter back on track, get them back to what they were doing before when they were starting out the season and stuff like that. So there's, there's some, some cool stuff that you can do with that for sure. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been wanting to get some force plates too. It would, it would be so cool to have force plates in the facility, just in the ground permanently and mm-hmm. you know, without having to go back and moving and everything. I think that's the biggest thing with tech is man, like it just, it's just the pain, right? It's just the time mm-hmm. of being able to put it, take it on, put it off. If you can just put it set in stone and boom, it's good. You're good to go. Have you, um, speaking of, of driveline, have you been out and seen any of their stuff, their lab at all? I have not. So I was going to go out there and visit a few years ago and then COVID hit that really shut down all of our travel plans and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, since then, it's just gotten so busy around here. I haven't had a chance to travel anywhere. Really. So who who are you mainly working with? Is it I know you mentioned pro players. Is it college, high school? Like who would be the 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 main kid you're working with? Mostly college. I think I keep it pretty small. I have only like at my highest times of the year, I have about 20 athletes total that I'm working with throughout the day. So it's not like crazy busy for me. I don't have 100 kids coming through the gym mostly college and uh only a handful of high schoolers right now about six or seven high schoolers at most during the year and then yeah about another five or six pro guys so nothing crazy but it's um it's the way i like it i like to keep it pretty small and you know it it helps me out a ton because i do you know i'll i'll be feeding in the cages and stuff like that i'll be feeding the machine i'll be throwing to them whatever and then we go and lift and then the next group comes in and so I, I like making sure that I can sort of stick with the guys, their entire training session that helps out a ton, I think. So you, okay. So it, it's usually a group format and then you mm-hmm. just kind of go from hitting to lifting. It's like thing to thing. And you just kind of guide them with each of them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's pretty cool. I like that. How many guys in a group? Usually about five ish, maybe, maybe more sometimes if, if uh, like the high school kids, sometimes they would all come at once because it's after school that those groups maybe got like bigger to like seven or so, but that's it. What about the hitting stuff? I I've seen you do some challenging BP stuff in the cages. What are your thoughts on developing hitters? I know we've talked a lot about bat speed and rotational power, but you work with a lot of hitters too. Like how do you go about helping hitters develop while challenging them too? Man, it's like, it's something over the years I've really had to come to grips with is like, um, almost like letting the drill work is like the the thought I've had in my mind. So like, for example, we're going to set up the machine on something that's like maybe faster than what you've been facing in game, or maybe like this breaking ball is nastier than what you've seen in game. And, you know, for everybody, but the pro guys, I think that works really well because they haven't been exposed to everything in the baseball world yet. So you don't want to be surprised when you face that first 90 mile per hour arm, or you face that first kid with a nasty slider. You know, I don't, I want them to be prepared for it all. And I feel like the only real way to stress the eyes, the vision, everything that you need to like adapt to, to get better at baseball. The only real way to do it is with nasty stuff, whether it's the machine throwing different things. Sometimes I'll adjust the dial up or down. Sometimes I'll adjust the height of the pitch up or down, just basically reacting to tough stuff all the time. Um, I, the way it, that's the way that I like to do machine work. Cause nothing that you see in game at the higher levels is going to be straight down the, 
down the middle. Here it is. Just crush it. Um, and then I'll get up on the mound and I'll throw like short box live at bats a lot, like for maybe 40 ish feet. I'm trying to chuck 70, 75 miles per hour, whatever I can muster up that day. But, uh, yeah, just trying to make it tougher guys. Like I want to try to get them out. Um, but like what I was uh, alluding to before is like, I've had to like learn to shut up. I've had to learn to like, let them get through eight, 10, 12 swings where they're struggling a little and see if they can figure it out on their own. Because if they do, that's when it starts to stick. That's when they really start to, oh, I, I know what my body needs to do. I know what I need to do. Or maybe we just need to put the film on, let them struggle for six to eight swings, watch what they're struggling with. It's wild to me how many kids will face. And granted, it's the machine where it's got a little bit more ride than what you normally see in a game. But like, it's so crazy to me. Like when, when kids will be like, how am I missing that ball? Like, they'll just follow it straight back. It's like, well, your barrel's underneath it, but I don't feel like my barrel's underneath it. And then we'll literally put the film on. It's like, yes, your barrel is like underneath the ball. Like you're (laughs) never going to miss a fastball above. Like that's just never what happens. So, um, like, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, it's like a Dante Bichette video from a couple years back, but, um, I don't know like anything about his hitting philosophies, but I remember him talking about that. Like you're, you're going to miss 90% of the time underneath the pitch. So what, a, whatever adjustments you need to make to get back and, and match playing with that pitch is what you got to do. And so that's really all I'll tell guys if they're struggling a lot and then it, they just kind of figure out their movements and their patterns after that. So I I've had to learn to like not jump in every single time they miss and almost let them learn a little. And that's, that's kind of something that I felt has worked over the years. What would have been the biggest challenges working with pro players versus college hitters? Yeah. So now I was talking a little bit about the pro guys. Some of them really like to see the fast stuff. It's like, I got to get ready for this before spring training and stuff like that. But for the most part, they've seen it all. Like they've seen, especially like, um, you know, the guys that have played up to like AAA and stuff like that. The velo, they've seen it all. The movement, they've seen it all. Like there's so much there. The difference between them getting from, you know, AAA back up to the big leagues or something like that is simply they need to work on themselves, consistency. They need to know what their feel is. And they need to basically get hot again, like their hottest point in their career and be able to ride that out, maintain it for more than just a couple games, ride it out for weeks. And there's so much there that the machine can't get you there. Eye throwing off the mound can't get you there. Like they they have to almost work on themselves, if you will. And that's a bit of a challenge because, again, I can't really tell them what to feel. They almost have to get, you know, the, like their selves right. And then when I pick on something that they're doing right, almost after the round, I'll be like, hey, remember this worked really well for you the other day try to stick with that and then see if they can stay consistent. But that's really the biggest difference is because they don't need massive amounts of improvements the way like a D three college kid does. So we don't really have to stress it so much from the outside perspective, I guess that's my take at least. Yeah. So I guess what I'm hearing is you're more so saying that they need to really focus on, and I hate to always use these words, but like the mental side of the game and like understanding their own approach, what they need, what they need their routine to be before the game, what whatever they need to do to to be present in the moment once they get in the box. And part of that is just them taking the time to understand that, which is hard because it's not sexy to do that, right? Lifting weights, I mean, all that kind of stuff, that's fun stuff. 
but I mean, having the discipline to, to focus on your, the mental side of the game and like, what do I need to think about? What do I need to do? All that kind of stuff. It's hard, man. I mean, that stuff, it's what separates hitters. Yeah. 100%. And like, sure. There are times in every pro player's career, I'm sure where they were the, the king, they were the king of the mountain. Maybe it was in high school, college, wherever they got drafted or signed out of, but like, at the same time, every pro hitter I know for a fact is going to go through days, maybe weeks, where it's just like everything sucks. Nothing's working, blah, 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 blah. And so the the difference between the guys that climb and the guys that don't climb isn't usually a skill set issue. It's usually a mental issue. That's that's just my my general perspective on it. And so it's it's like if you've made it this far in pro ball, like you obviously have the skills to stick. It's just the the mental ability to stay consistent long enough you to put up those numbers and to be a guy that's like mid-season call up type of thing that's where a, a handful of the guys I train are at right now so yeah it's it's tough for sure for yeah. my perspective because I never played at that level so I'm just yeah. kind of taking their feedback and almost like being um a parrot to them and just kind of being the reminder you know what I mean right yeah it's you're going to suck it's can we suck less can we not mm-hmm. suck for as long of a period of time that's that's honestly what it comes down to because you see the best players, and I've seen some of the best hitters look terrible for multiple games in a row, but it just doesn't phase them the same way it does other players. And because of that, they don't suck for as long of a period of time. They get back to to who they who they were. Now, how do you how can you help a player with that? How is there anything you've seen that a player's done? Anything that you've done that's been able to help them with that, or is it solely they just kind of got to figure it out? So I hope none of the pro guys I'm listening to will hear this, but like, if I'm being honest, I just kind of like throw shit at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I've tried being, I've tried like, you know, the funny approach, like try to get them to laugh and just try to get them to loosen up. So that, that worked like once or twice last year with guys. Um, you know, we've tried different things like, uh, okay. Like it, sometimes it's, it's more intense. Like you got to really dial it in here. We're going to take an extra 60 swings until you figure it out today. We're going to like grind through this shit. Like sometimes it's being that type of a support for them. If you will, like stick with this grind, let's go, let's keep working through it. But man, it's like, you just got to kind of get lucky to, to get it to, to work. Sometimes it's so, so, so difficult. Um, I would say probably by and large, the the thing that works the most is so much opposite from like a small college kid that I would train. Whereas if like they're struggling in season, I want to throw some shit at them be like, Hey, this is a nasty breaking ball. I want you to figure out how to hit it. And I want you to like work through that for them. It's like the opposite. It's like, Hey, here is a 75 mile per hour machine cock shot. Let's hit a perfect, perfect line drive up the middle. Oh, you did it. What'd you feel? Let's perfect, perfect again. Let's get it. Let's get it again. And almost give them that sort of a a mental boost. Like say, hey, like hitting doesn't have to be complicated. Hitting is just running your barrel into the ball and and just simplifying it like that. By and large, that works more often. But um, with a guy that is just kind of overwhelmed with stuff, like like a D3 kid that maybe has seen only 75 to 82 mile per hour pitching all year, and now they're facing that one kid that's throwing 92, like, okay, they've never seen that. They don't have the skill set to handle that at that point. So let's try to, like, catch them up to speed, basically. There's different routes to go about it for sure. Yeah, it's 
it's going back to again what we were talking about earlier of, of the challenging part where you do that to a pro guy they're like man i haven't felt a ball hit my barrel in like two weeks because all we're doing is challenging stuff with machines on the field and this and that and then i'm getting in the game and i'm seeing 95 and so i think you bring up a good point like these guys want to feel their bat the ball hit the barrel too like that that is mm -hmm. important for them to be able to feel that even if they're not going to see that 75 in the game but what are some of the things that that pro guys will tell you throughout the season? Like, do you? I assume you stay in contact with them throughout the season. Like, what what are some of the things? I think it'd be interesting for people to hear kind of what they they think and and go through throughout the year. The biggest thing that I hear is like tired. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I'm sore. Like that's the biggest thing. And so like. I have a handful of high school kids that I think could play professionally someday. Like they're already D one commits and stuff. I think a big difference for them to make it versus not making it down the road is can you stay healthy for a full season and, and not just a 30 game high school season, I'm talking like full 120, 140 games. And um, you know, can you take care of your body and can you do all those things to keep yourself even on a day where maybe you only feel 85%, can you still get yourself right and get ready to go? Or are you going to go in the tank? And obviously no minor leaguer is ever going to just go in the tank because they want to. Every minor leaguer wants to do great. Everybody is tough at that level, no, no doubt. But it's like a different level of mental toughness to grind through a season and to finish strong, man. It's, it is absolutely incredible what these guys have to do on a daily basis. Um, and most kids don't realize that. They think it's just, oh, it's, it's minor league baseball. It's not that tough, bro. It is from I would say from June 15th to the rest of the season, it is an absolute grind, um, especially if you've never been exposed to that long of a season before. But, yeah, I think there's probably a lot that I've learned, like just from last year watching guys go through some injury issues and stuff. It's like, hey, like you almost have to um, – how would I put it? Like be able to play in a fatigued state, like be able to get your mind right. Like you have to work on those mental tricks – Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe you just got to change up your warm up sometimes or, or do a little bit less in the weight room or whatever it is. But like you got to figure out a way to get yourself right, um, even when you're tired. But that's the biggest thing. Like whatever the answer is, I personally don't know for everybody how to handle that. But uh, that's the issue for sure. <laughs> yeah, Learning how to play tired is so important. And I think if if. Yeah, you learn so much and you develop so much as a player by by if you can play an entire season of professional baseball, because to your point of what you just said, you now know your body, you've learned your body, you know, you can play tired, you know what you need to do the next offseason to get ready. And I don't know if that's something you've seen, too, but something I've seen where I guys come back and they're like, oh, like I, I didn't take strength conditioning, the lifting as serious as I should have. And in July, my body was just done. And mm -hmm. I couldn't do anything about it. So, yeah. I mean, so to wrap this up, Bill, it sounds like not just you're a strength guy, but I mean, you're, would you also put, consider yourself a hitting coach too? Like you're just a combination of, of both. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. be honest, it's and, and, pitching, and pitching too. Not pitching per se, but okay. we do a lot of velocity work. And I kind of just like, if a kid needs to work on his pitching ability, I kind of, source out like there's a friend of mine named josh cowton is he's in oh, central yeah. illinois i've sent uh guys out to coach k's he's academy great. before and yeah he's awesome like i trust him because i know i'm limited like teaching yeah. guys how to pitch and stuff like that so 
Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, the way I like to run training is if you imagine like the perfect day for a college baseball player's training, it would be like, let's go get our hitting in, our sprinting, whatever throwing work we need to get done. And then we go right into the weight room and we try to like complete the day and, and then you're good to go eat, sleep, everything else the rest of the day. So that's what I try to do with guys when they're coming in. And I think it's, it's working out pretty well. So, I mean, are, what about during the season? What are you, who are you working with during the season? Cause obviously the pro guys are playing college guys are playing and it's high school guys too. Yeah. I had a handful of like local college guys that would come in like a couple times a week usually. Um, and that's usually just like the extra work that they're not getting in with their school. A lot of times like the strength and conditioning at these D3 schools is nothing like you just go and do it on your own. So they would come in and, and train with me during the season, but yeah, it's mostly just like the high school guys and, I had a few independent ball guys that just left for their seasons about a week or a week or so ago, like maybe a week and a half ago. So yeah, that kind of like led me up to this point, but now all the high school kids and college kids are going to be coming back in. So it kind of was really light there for a little while and now it's going to get really busy again. Awesome. Bill, where, where can someone contact you, follow you? Like, where do you, where do you want to lead them if they want more information about you? On Instagram, it's Bill Miller Training, really easy. On Twitter, it's at Bill Mills, B-I-L-L-M-I-L-L-S. And uh, I wrote two books about throwing and swinging fast. Uh, it's called Throw Fast and Swing Fast. You can find links to that in the uh, link in the bio on my Instagram. So feel free to reach out anytime. I always answer anytime someone has any questions and stuff like that. So Awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes too. And Bill, appreciate you coming on today, man. Right on. Thank you so much. Back at the top, back at the top. We got it again, got it again. We came to